Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential Podcast. This is your host Deepa Natarajan, that Indian girl from Toulouse in France. And today we're going to talk about women in leadership, how to get heard. And we have with us Virginie Boussina, who works at the headquarters of Sanofi in Paris as the global head of transformation. At Sanofi, she was previously the chief of staff CEO office. She is the mother of four children. And to me, Virginie Boussina is an icon of intelligence, strength and humbleness, a strong woman leader from whom we can learn a lot. And I'm very pleased and very privileged to have her here with us. She has lived abroad in Morocco and also in India. I guess that's why I chose her, <laughs> maybe. So let's welcome Virginie. In 2012, you were the CFO of India and South Asia. That's when we met in Mumbai. How are you today? And I'm really curious to know now that you're back here in Europe, how was that experience for you? My experience in India was absolutely amazing, both personally and professionally. It was intense. It was was colorful. Uh, it ate all my bandwidth pretty much the whole time I, I stayed in India and I still miss it a lot and I keep friends from Mumbai. I keep a lot of things in the house and the kids and a part of our history and our heart is really uh, stayed in India and that's also making a lot of how I behave and how I um, see life today that has changed a lot of my perspective on life as it was so intense and so humbling in many ways. So um, I'm, I'm partly Indian I think today. Well I also also saw on your LinkedIn profile that you learned Hindi. Well, that's not easy. It makes a difference. So I tried to learn Hindi. That was my attempt. I always made people laugh when I was speaking Hindi, so they could not always understand me. I think I had uh, the same um, accent I was told as India Gandhi. But the thing was, first of all, it was an, a great way to um, connect with people and make the effort to speak in somebody's language is always, I think, uh, also a mark of respect. And through language, and I did the same when I lived in Morocco, trying to learn through language you understand a lot of the culture and the way people express things and the way the structure the illustrations of the language that you learn so much about how people think how things are expressed and so your ability to connect even if it's not the native language later on with the people you work with is really different so it's both yeah mark of reaching out to people and making and understanding better in depth the culture wow I'm, I'm always amazed by your success you have been a very successful woman and you're in a leadership position, one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in France. What's the secret behind your success? Well, as most women, I would be tempted to say that I don't perceive myself as being in a successful uh, position. But what I will say, though, is that I have been and I am still very much fulfilled and enjoying my professional career. Maybe that's a good definition of success, by the way, because every step has been different, challenging, always starting something new, pretty much from the beginning, with half time, of course, but with lots of learning. So I always felt I could bring something to the table, but I also learned I was a different person after each step of the career. So I'm always looking for a little bit of stretch and excitement in a new position. And that's it been there. Uh, it's been there all along. So I'm very thankful for that. Well, along with your stretch and excitement, there's also a lot of humbleness. Yeah, thank you. So what challenges have you faced as a woman? The challenges as a woman, I've never lived them. I've never felt them but I could observe them with people surrounding me and repeatedly I would say every time I uh, went to expatriate I think it was when I was faced with it uh, most abruptly where others around me thought being a woman obviously came as a challenge so the first time when I was uh, expatriated to the US and I was a newlywed then with three kids I expatriated to Morocco 
school and then we forked to India. And every time I had to go through a lot of interviews because the people who were hiring, not necessarily the person hiring, but people around in the system were questioning me about how mature I was about the decision, if my husband would take it, if I was not going to expose my children. I mean, I pretty much had had thoughts of this through. And I thought that was very frustrating and annoying because obviously I was not, you know, I was a grown up and I knew what I was doing. And obviously I had discussed it and taken decisions in our consciousness. So I um, always felt that's where I struggle most. So I felt being a woman got in my way and sometimes being a mother got in my way. The good thing though is I, every time I found one person, just one, so once it was a woman, twice they were men, who actually did not have that perspective at all, thought I could do the job, that I was a grown up, that I knew what I was doing and were ready to, to make the move. And it, it only took that one person every time that one sponsor basically to make it happen. And I was enough to, to go through. So that, that's uh, how I got out of it. And maybe a few other times, uh, the challenge which I was put across of being a woman was when I was managing all men, often the filters, by the way. And whether there was for a few weeks a question whether that would go well or not. And that always amused me because to me that has never been gender and never got in the way of managing teams or working with other people. Very quickly, it doesn't matter which gender, which age you are. At the end of the day, it's what you would bring on a professional basis. And that's where the conversation and the, the time goes anyway very quickly. So I found that vanishes quite, quite quickly at work in real life. A lot of time I hear women tell me that I find myself in a room filled with men, sometimes people who are bigger than me, people who have louder voices than me. And I find that I can almost go unnoticed in front of them. What do I do in those situations? What would be your response to them? So I found myself quite a few times in that situation and uh, hopefully, and the good news is there are ways out of it, but it, but it, the truth is it's a fact that we might feel as women a bit in this situation. So there are a few things uh, I like to do personally is, uh, first of all, is um, sometimes use humor because I have a low voice and a soft voice uh, to start with. So the fact of not being heard is a bit inflated in my case by the fact that if I speak and if I don't make a conscious effort to speak loudly, I will not be hurt physically in the room. So then you have to use other traits. So humor, as I said, can be one. Or what I like to do also is bringing or putting the elephant, I think is the expression, uh, in the room. I mean, bringing the hard topic to the table or voicing non-conventional opinions. I think that's where you get heard most and not on the discussion or more on chat part of the meeting. So that's how you can differentiate yourself. And I, I guess the best way to actually counter it is to bring alliances or to build alliances with uh, the people you work with. And a lot of it happens outside of the room, usually and outside of the meeting room. So if it's your boss, you can always ask your boss to make sure you can bring your voice and speak. If it's a colleague, you can also party or partner with a colleague. Make sure they will do an effort to ask you your opinion or to make sure you are heard. And build relationships outside of the meeting room because when we, most of the things are actually happening outside of the meeting room. So if you spend time building and understanding your, your colleagues and for them to understand who you are and give you credit for who you are, then they will listen gradually more uh, more and more to what uh, you said. So I think if you're relevant and if they give you credit, they will 
listen to you increasingly. You've mentioned five important tips here. The first one that Virginie just mentioned to us is use humor. Humor is a great way to deflect the energy or to shift basically the energy of the room. And the second one that you mentioned is talk about the elephants in the room, be brave enough to speak about them. And the third one is talk about the hard topics really and non-controversial ones. And the last one is create alliances. And when you talk about creating alliances, that leads me to a question. Very often alliances get created sometimes in the corridors, sometimes in having a beer together, sometimes going for a golf together. And sometimes women are not involved in when these little bonding sessions happen over watching a football match or over drinking a glass of beer or going for a golf, going to the golf club. So how do you actually manage and create alliances despite these so-called boys clubs that get formed? Yeah, I'm not too fond of the boys club uh, activities, but uh, fortunately I found that a lot of men actually are quite accessible through other settings. And so it can be lunch, it can be breakfast, it can be simply making time and meeting um, your uh, counterpart or your peers to get to know them. So sometimes it's not uh, to discuss a specific business topic, it's really to get an understanding. And the best way to get there is actually to reach out to the person, whoever that is, and to to be very clear about why, you know, that you would like to build a partnership, that you would like to understand what motivates their mind and, and start sharing what you are about, what where you struggle, where you, you would like to partner and who you are and what drives you because you need to open up that channel of communication and the best way is actually to do it yourself and to, to show the intent to the other person. And I've always found great onto being that open and showing that willingness to work together and really uh, team up. I think pe- most people will welcome that and uh, men as uh, women will welcome that because we're all the same in the workplace and even in the personal space. We want to have allies, we want to be a partnership so that we're stronger so, and that we can you know, run our topics and be successful at what we do and partnership has, is, a, is a great foundation for that. You mentioned something very important here and partnership is something that we're all looking for. We're looking for connection in the workplace and don't get dismissed by the connections that get created in spaces where you don't want to. So act on your zone of influence like Virginie just mentioned. Uh, create partnerships in places where you can and in ways that you can. So how do you actually, what kind of space did you have to create for your teams to make sure that there's this gender balance, voice balance? So the space for the team, I think it starts with uh, you and your own team. So at least when you have your space of expression and people you manage and you work together on a daily basis, you can certainly set the rules and set the frame. So you have to walk the talk yourself, of course, and you really have to show and be the role model and run your team with the rules you would like to apply. And you need to have that conversation with the team that what are the values that bring the team? How do we want to behave to each other? What are our routines? And really make space and make sure, you know, our voices are heard, people respect each other, uh, diversity is an asset, and, and you need to work through it. So you need to define the rules and also intervene when the rules, favor the rules to happen or favor the, the ways of working to happen in, in a balanced way or making sure, again, everyone can express and we build on the expertise and experience and that there is a respect. And your role as a leader usually to define that, to explicitly state it, and then every time it's not happening, highlight it, not in a blaming way, but a highlighted, which is, you know, this is not the rules we define. How do we, uh, how do we work uh, forward, and how, why, how do we make that better, and why, uh, and really uh, flag it. The other way is also because you're not always in your team and actually making things happen, working the way you think is a good way for everyone uh, in your team. Not so challenging usually. It 
becomes more challenging when you're interacting with others. So uh, one way I uh, had found that was very efficient uh, talking about India as we did uh, earlier, I had partnered with one of my colleagues um, in India to really make sure we would uh, mutually ensure that in any meeting we were together, we would make sure that there was a balanced conversation happening, that nobody was shutting anybody down, that you know people who were knowledgeable on topic were given an expression to voice uh, their opinion or to voice their concerns. And uh, we were doing that as a tandem. So it was very powerful also for people around us because it changed the dynamics around the table. People who were a bit uh, overriding others on down and the ones who had been waiting to express themselves got way more assertive and so it changed completely the level of debate of the conversation so that was both rewarding for individuals we could see whom we could see around the table but also for the quality of the debate we were able to have uh, once this was in place I'll team up also here that's a great example of how you put that in place and just going further what I would love is that what if two men actually took that kind of initiative and I think that's when workplaces and that's when organizations would change, really, if men started to you know, pause, give more space for women to speak up, not from a place of we are better and therefore we are here to give women a voice, but rather from a place of I see the benefit of hearing another perspective here. So what have been some of your strategies to make sure that you get involved in decision making among your peers? A lot of it has come from uh, what I was mentioning, which is uh, building uh, bilateral and multilateral relationships up front before decisions were needed so that I could uh, be heard and listened to and looked up to. And then really being, um, whenever decisions were being made, really voicing sometimes the hard decisions that needed to be made and being very um, authentic and being very real. And also not being shy and uh, voicing my concern or voicing a different standpoint. And I, I believe as you, as we grow more experienced and older, you, you care less about at least I care less about what other people think and what they will perceive me at if I don't say exactly what is expected or if I don't go mainstream. I think more and more I've become more approachable with that. And I am um, very thankful for that. I'm sure I'm sure quite happy to be in that, becoming more and more in that page because that's also where uh, you bring more value to the team you're working with or the project you're working on. And, and, and it helps better decisions being made when you have sufficient control and debate in a room or around the table. And that's brought by the diversity of people you have there, but also the level of authenticity and ability to see you alone. So that's a function of people you have and you bring around the table, but that's also a function of the atmosphere that you create any business discussion you have and the ability for people to voice, uh, to have a voice. You pointed at something important. Brené Brown, she talks about in her book, Dare to Lead, that women are most often worried about how I look. That is, most often often about what is my image? What is the image that I'm creating around me? Whereas men are more worried about how strong do I look? And therefore, your uh, key message, which is like, I started to care less of what others think, that uh, automatically responds to armored techniques of do I look good? Is it the right thing to say? Or am I, is this good enough? That speaks to that. Exactly. To it. And I think in Naji, the type of um, strong leadership and the definition of the leadership that we uh, tend to have, which uh, the good news is that 
exchanging, which is less, you know, an executive presence, which would be built on, you know, big voice and ability to make big pitches, etc. And really nudging more to, you know, the ability to have the real conversation, the debate, the confrontation, uh, and making decisions. And that's when, and I think that's both men and women doing this together. Actually, it's not necessarily a feminine threat, but I, I think we will change the, the real representation around the table and, and how men and women work equally together by also making this leadership trait less based on the, the way, again, people are present or the way people speak or how loud they are, etc. but really back to the quality of the conversation they can have, the quality of the debate, the quality of the decision making, which is not so much, not valued enough, in my opinion, today. So uh, what would be your definition of executive presence? So the definition of executive presence to me is how much room you give to your teams and how much people around you can grow and own their own projects. So I know it's often called empowerment. I'm not too fond of that word because I think it's a bit generic. But really, if people can own their own space, can be responsible, can take their, their own subjects and have an ability to move forward with a lot of autonomy, but also to look and search for debate confrontation so that everything they do is stronger so in a positive way I think is, is um, one aspect of the executive presence I would say because you need to make sure as an executive or in a leadership position that the right people are in the right topic right space and considering the, the real questions and not going too much for a more uh, diplomatic approach which are necessary of course but not to the detriment of doing the groundwork but also doing the tough part of the work which uh, is usually happening behind you. And I think the ability to do that is quite important for the society and for companies. Having the right quality of conversations at the right time, at the right place, with the right people. Okay. What's been one of your worst experiences at work? When I made a decision or when I uh, ran a project or I did something a corporate, a Comex member had asked me to do for the company and that was helping the company financially in terms of a result. But it turned out to make the affiliate I was working with not meeting subjectively and it was detrimental to everybody's bonus. And that was my worst experience because while I was doing what was right, what made sense by the company level, it turned out to be a uh, detrimental to to the people working in the affiliate because they could not really achieve uh, their full result financially that year. And not only did I find this was very unfair, but what it taught me uh, brutally but surely is that uh, when you make decisions or when you take risk or when you drive projects which you think make sense for a company you always have to be very considerate of whether you're exposing yourself which is one uh, aspect of things but when you are exposing others then you should be taking more steps into driving those projects and making sure if you're going to be impacting others they know and they agree and try in fact not to um, put others at risk without a proper and due conversation that was a brutal lesson but a lesson for life and in the end I was able to actually correct the whole thing, but it was a painful time. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what's been one of your best experiences? The running project, which I was not necessarily uh, super qualified uh, with initially or an expert on, but where I always found that if you are motivated and if you have a little bit of a vision and if you really want that project to happen and it can be different projects, I have had repeated experience of being able to share my enthusiasm, my energy, 
and then people rallying around and really making miracle happen because they were convinced we were working on the right project. So sometimes it was around gender balance in the organization. Sometimes it was building a new office and sometimes it was running leadership events. But when there is that, you're able to be inspirational to others because you're convinced, you have energy, they know you are driving in the right direction, they trust you, then the level of uh, energy and accomplishment is absolutely amazing. And I've had repeated experiences in very different fields like this and that's so fulfilling personally, but also for the teams around you. And I think what's most fulfilling in the end is when you as a team have a lot of impact for others or bring a lot of value or sometimes just show it to the organization or a good moment that makes a lot a huge difference. And I give make everyone who contributing, you know, fueled for quite a few miles down. And I think that's a priceless. Absolutely right. On inspiring others is so key uh, rather than telling others what to do, make people dream, make people be connected to their vision and to the purpose. And you touched something very important is when we impact others, we feel so good. I was once asked the question, what is success for you, Deepa? And I was actually thinking, what is success? Because the definition of success has been constantly changing for me. And then I realized that actually success for me is impacting lives of people and supporting and serving people. And so true, creating impact is actually in the end success. So you're a mother of four kids, you manage business critical decisions, so and you have a social life. How do you manage your time? I'm a big fan of managing time uh, over two principles. So one is I'm not a big fan of or. I think everything in life or most things in life can be and. So I think you can be a mother and uh, being good at boards and uh, liking art and being a good wife and cook, etc. I mean, you can actually, you can completely be several several persons. Uh, there's a famous uh, I think it's a philosopher, Pessoa, who says that if you're only one person or one side or aspect of yourself, it's very boring and it's not as fulfilling and I truly believe that. And often I uh, find society has uh, schemes by which it puts pressure on us that we can only be good at one thing and or that we should prioritize our time on one role that is proper for us to be very good at. And that's how we tend to be always guilty, feeling guilty that we're doing one thing and not the other. So we can feel guilty when we're in work and because we're not at home and vice versa, being at, you know, looking after the kids and not being at work. And I very early on became, became, became fed up with that because they, you know, you're never feeling great. So, and, and my experience is that you can be several of those. I mean, you can do all of the activities you should be doing. You can be good at all of them. The only thing is, of course, in a 24-hour day, you're not going to be able to split yourself equally. So I look at time horizons on a much longer basis. So sometimes three weeks can be three months. And I really think of time as when am I going to be very demanding in work? When am I going to be required at home? And how? And, and then that's what I manage. Where should I be spending my time? And where does my schedule or my responsibility take me on a priority basis? And at the end of the day, I feel better looking at that time horizon on a longer basis because it's much more manageable. And I believe I, I can be then in a different part of um, where I need to be. And because I feel better and not as stressed and not as guilty, I actually feel fine. Then 
you know, it makes you better at everything you do because you're not always have that little voice in the back of your mind. Oh, you should be there. You should be there. You should be there, which takes so much bandwidth away. So that's my uh, my approach. And it's been working quite well for quite a few years now. So I keep it. That's a nice strategy. Look at time in a very holistic way over a longer period of time, like three weeks or three months, rather than trying to get everything perfectly right in 24 hours time to be a perfect mom, to be a perfect wife, to be a perfect businesswoman. So yeah, and I think that little voice <laughs> sometimes can be quite noisy. So yeah, it's good to zoom out and look at time in a much more holistic way. Thanks for sharing that important tip. I remember I was once coaching a very senior executive woman in a large European company. And I asked her at the end of the coaching session, do you have a journal? She paused and she was silent. And then she looked at me and she said, Deepa, I have four journals. <laughs> and I actually was wondering why she has four journals and the four journals of different parts of uh, her life and none of them are complete. And this again leads back to what you just shared, like accept that all the different parts of me. And if I'm accepting all the different parts of me, then I'm just having just one journal. So there's one other thing that I often see um, as a pattern with women. Women for long, for generations have been caregivers. Uh, they tend to actually give more, take care of others more, serve more. And sometimes I find that today women somewhere find it hard to receive. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I find that true. I think we're generally more givers than receivers. So it's good to have friends and to have people who keep you in check and make sure they, that, you know, when there's something to be given, they can, uh, um, they remind you that you should be giving, but you should be receiving and uh, helping you to um, to accept to receive. I also believe that when you're big on the, when you, you your tendency is to give a lot, then fine, you should be, you should keep doing that because in 99% of the cases, you it's right and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think people are generally good, but you should also be very clear that uh, if you're faced with people who are only takers and never give and everything back, then, uh, you know, you can learn to be a bit more cynical and not necessarily uh, keep giving to everybody uh, the same one. I think it's just a lucidity in a way. And train others to give also. Thank you so much for being here with us. And before we end this episode, would you like to share one last message with the audience? Yes, I would like to share two, uh, actually two messages if you don't me deeper. One is in the end, uh, what I found very precious is to surround myself with people and there are not that many, but with people who will always keep me in check and tell me when I'm doing right, when I'm doing wrong, the people you love and you hate at the same time because they give you the, the, the talking back, but they are super precious. And if today you are, you know, you always get very nice feedback of people telling you exactly what you want to hear, then you're, you're not in good in a good spot. So make sure you get around your people who are not like you, but who also trust you and care for you and that you equally trust and that so that they uh, tell you when you're not doing the right thing or you're not going right they, they will give you positive feedback also but you really need to have those people you know you know giving you that candid mirror so you can generally improve yourself and be at your best and i think good friends or good carers do that very well if you really care and i encourage you to also do it for others so that giving feedback is actually uh, can be very uh, helpful and making a meaningful people for people around you so you can really help others and be ready to receive so that if you're going to be receiving anything that's the one thing you should be receiving yeah, uh, with open arms and the other thing is life is made of moments whether it's professionally and personally and the philosophy in life is also to uh, look 
for those great or intense moments and build them in between through your relationship, through your alliance, so that those moments you have in life are really enjoyable and you can make a difference. And it's in between each moment that you actually build the next phase by uh, meeting people, by connecting, by doing, doing your work as authentically as you can. And I think uh, in most cases, it turns out to be very positive and enjoyable moments. Very valuable pieces of advice. I have nothing much to add there. I so agree with this. I liked your first advice, which is get feedback and be connected to people who you trust, who trust you and who will support you even when you're in the slums, even when you're having a crisis and will give you that tough feedback at in those times and support you at the same time. And the second one, connect, especially during these times with social distancing right now, connection is so important. And so stay connected. Thank you so much for being here with us and look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Lisa. The conversation with Virginie went by so quickly and there were lots of great nuggets out there. What I'm going to do is make a copy of all the great advices that she gave and put that on the show notes. So if you want to take a look at them, head over to meetmypotential.com slash advices for women in leadership. And if you like the episode, please do head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating that will help us promote the show. Thank you very much. And thank you for tuning in. I look forward to speaking to you again in a week's time. And until then, stay cool. Thank you.